0: Alright, well, welcome everyone. Uh, thank you all so much for coming. You didn't really have a choice, but it's nice to see you here. Um, happy Friday, our last day at Eastern Camp. Uh, let's start with a prayer. Can I get someone to come up and give a prayer from up here, please? I'll call on someone if like, I really feel like it, but just someone who's just, it doesn't have to be long. I'll give you my microphone. Okay. Shh, 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 shh. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've given us today. Thank you for keeping us safe during this week. Lord, please continue to keep us safe and healthy so, and help us have fun and learn about you and come closer to you, Lord. And please forgive us of all our sins and keep us with you at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So today, and as you come in, don't worry, you haven't missed anything yet. You know, we're all getting here, I, and I'm feeling like there's more people still coming. Yeah? Oh, look, hey, look at my wife. Round of applause. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about a repentant heart. Repentance, it's commanded in Scripture. We all have a general idea of maybe what repentance is. I would like to have some interaction here. So at times throughout this forum, I'm going to call on people to say, hey, what do you think this is, or what do you think that that is? If I point at you and you feel like my finger's pointing at you, that means it's you. So just give an answer. Also, if you want to raise your hand, I'll try to call on you. If you have a question throughout the forum, more than happy to pause, get your question, and if it fits right then, we'll answer it then. If not, we'll save it to the end, and we can talk about it a little bit more later on. But just to start us off, a repentant heart, I want to see, raise your hand if you know what repentance is. Okay, oh, nice. We've got a lot of people here. I'm going to call on a few people. You're going to just give, I see how quick hands drop, like, hopefully he didn't notice I raised my hand. I'm going to call on some people. You can just give maybe one or two words, something simple, what you think or what comes to mind when it comes to repentance. So there. Complete 180, right? So I'm walking this way, and now I've turned around. I'm walking back. I've repented. I've turned. I like that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, Forgiveness on, whose, like on whose side? Are we forgiving, or what's going on? Okay. So the Bible commands us to forgive just as our Father in heaven forgives us. I like that. Um, someone who has a repentant heart... God will forgive them. we, We hear about his grace. We hear about his mercy. He sent his son to die for us so that we can have this eternal life. And part of that is forgiveness. God forgiving us. Anything else? Ruby? Okay. So in order to repent, in order to turn 180 degrees, you need to know which way you were going in the first place. You need to know that we are... I think the, was it the Inspiration Hour yesterday where he said that the highway to hell. It's a song. It's probably a little bit older than all of you. probably like 70s or something like that. But there's, we are on a pathway to destruction, and the only way out is by turning and following Jesus, um, who gives us that path forward. All right, let's get into what does the Bible say about repentance. All right, we know that we are saved by grace and through grace alone we are saved because of our faith in Christ, then what is repentance, right? This is, this is the question. A little fact for you all. Who knows what an encyclopedia is? Okay, we got like at least 60%, but there are some of you who don't. It's basically Wikipedia, but like book form. And in the first Polish encyclopedia, so in Poland, some guy's like, all right, we don't have definitions of what things are. The first Polish encyclopedia, they you know, had a definition of a house, you know, structure that someone goes inside and lives in, whatever it might be. Like, it gives the name of the thing and then what it is. But when he got to the word horse in the Polish uh, encyclopedia, it just said, everyone can see what a horse is. No, no definition, no like, oh, it's a four-legged animal with hood, nothing. It just said, "Ah, come on, it's a horse. Everyone knows what a horse is. Unfortunately, repentance, it might not be so straightforward, and just like it's really not that important, like you could live your whole life without knowing what a horse is. Repentance is important. And it's something that you can live your life without knowing what repentance is, without ever having a repentant heart, but that will lead to destruction. So what does the Bible say about repentance? I pulled out a few scripture verses. There are a lot more though. Repentance is throughout all of scriptures. Here we got Matthew 17, 4.17, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so Jesus is going out. It's the beginning of his ministry, and he's preaching to all of these people, saying, You need to change. We heard the term 180 degrees. You need to ask for forgiveness. All of these things. We need a changed heart. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, All right, how about Luke 13.3? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What does perish mean? Just shout it out. God, Die, destroyed. You're, gonna, you're here, you're alive, you're happy. Well, not for long. You're going to be dead. You will all likewise perish, except ye repent. So this repentance, it's required so that you can have life. All right, we got Acts 3.19. Repent ye, therefore... Be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Um, Conversion. What do we think about the word conversion? When you hear the word conversion, what words come to your mind? Let's get some hands up. I'm going to call on some people. Morton. Change. All right. Conversion. Change. Just earlier, we were trying to get this projector to work. And I've got an HDMI port that goes out and goes into a computer. The computer does the magic because I'm not a computer guy. And it converts it into something that this projector can play out. Now, it, it wasn't working at the beginning because we didn't have the right setting selected. We, it didn't have the conversion process in there. And it was just giving me a blue screen. The message, it wasn't carrying through. OK, so change. I like that. Anything else with conversion? I'm going to call on someone who didn't raise their hand if we don't get a hand raised, which is totally fine. but Okay, realizing what he's done for you. That ties right into the idea of faith. We know that God exists just by the fact that we are here. We can think. We can walk on the ground. Gravity pulls us down. We can breathe air. All of these things, God's creation points towards his existence. We know that he created it and he cares for us. And we need to acknowledge that and acknowledge the fact that we don't follow him. We are wicked. We have sin in our lives that we harbor, that we hold in. And it separates us from God. If you like Greek words, here's a Greek word, metanoio. If you look in the New Testament, most of the times the word repent is there. It's from this word, which means a change of one's mind. Then if you look at two, it says Change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. Abhorrence. We're, we're getting, like, all these big words here, so I'm just making sure people know what it is. Oh, I abhorred that. What is abhorrence? Strong A strong hatred. Dis, uh, de, uh, detesting it. You, you ever had some, like, nasty food? Who ate the cheese from my one class? In the back, tell us what the cheese tasted like four years ago. Would you say you abhorred that? It was awful. Actually, I might have taught a bunch of you. 13-year-old class, I don't know, four years ago, I brought some cheese in. It was pretty bad. It was some stinky cheese, a or something. I don't know what it was. But we had a lovely volunteer who came up and he thought that he was going to get, I don't know, a piece of cheddar or something. And it was awful. When we have sin in our lives and we know that sin is impacting us, we should abhor it. It's gross. It's disgusting, but it's in our lives. And oftentimes, although we may say we know we are sinning, although we may say that we've repented, we've changed our minds, we let that sin live there way too long. I just realized I don't know what my next slide is, so let me pull it up on my phone to make sure I don't skip to the slide too early. We're gonna gonna do that. But, while I'm doing this, I wanna give a little word picture. Um, How many of us here own cars? Raise your hand if you own a car. How many of us here own old cars? Like, I'm talking pre-2000s. It's not, yeah, I like it. Hey, I used to have a car, I had a 1998 diesel Jetta. And this thing, epic. It went like zero to 60, at least 25, 30 seconds. Um, I had a whole 94 horsepower when I wasn't in limp mode, but I was because my check engine light was on forever, and, and I didn't want to really fix it. But this, this was my car. I, I used it to get around, and when things broke on it, my number one uh, solution to anything going wrong was, what's the easiest way I can fix this? All right, so what are, name something that could break on a car. Air con- we'll start with air conditioning. My air conditioning broke, and it wasn't starting, and I w- it had a code that was stopping the AC from running, so I was like, ah, okay, there's a code in my computer that says something else is wrong, so it won't turn on the AC. How do I fix that? Well, I just took the wires directly from the AC clutch, ran them up into my like, place where I drive the car from, in the cabin, is it the cabin? I hooked up a switch, so I could just force the AC on. Ignore the computer. Who cares that the computer says the AC shouldn't work because my car's dying? I want cold air, so I'm, I, I, that's how I fix that. Something else that can break on a car. Actual. Actual. Axle. I had my axle actually completely fall off once. Turns out if you don't tension the bolts on your axles, you'd think that they just make them so you don't have to go and do that, but they didn't. I had replaced the engine and transmission, and I hadn't tightened them down, and one day I go to start my car, and it just goes, whoop. I was like, what's I couldn't drive, I opened the hood and my axle was just like laying there, my front left axle. Had to bolt that back on. That one was pretty straightforward to fix. Something else broke. I turned my key and uh, it didn't start. I was like, wow, well, my battery's good. Well, well, what do I do? I could get a new ignition switch, but that costs like 200 bucks and it's all a lot of work to fix. So I just took the wires from the starter. I ran them in and I just had two wires and I pushed the wires together. Boom, my car starts. I kept, this is how my car was. And when I got married to my lovely wife here, this was my car I was driving around. And I realized pretty quickly I had a change of heart towards this car. And I said, okay, like this car is, it's beyond repair. It had a leaking head gasket it, I, I still had to turn the key and then like push a button to start it. I had a toggle switch for my AC. When I'd drive and I'd turn left, the radio would turn on. When I would turn right, there was like a, a plugged drain for the AC condenser, and it would like pour a rainforest on Daniela's feet whenever I would turn the one way. And then the radio turned. It was an awful car. So what did I do? I got a new one. 2004, brand new as far as I'm concerned. But I had a change of heart. Look at, thinking back to old mechanic Michael, when something broke, easiest way to fix it, fastest way to fix it. Or, you know, if it still drove, maybe I don't fix that at all. I, I can keep putzing along, it's fine. My new car, the other couple weeks ago, I hear a squealing on my belt. It's like, wow. Oh. Within a day, I had gone to O'Reilly's Auto Parts, found that it was the tensioner pulley on the serpentine belt, and I replaced it. I, we lent our car to some people. I won't say who. All of a sudden, the window won't go up and down. Wow. Okay, well, go down to O'Reilly's, pick up the part, fix it, replace it. I now, because I have a good car, I've got this renewed car, a car that I like, works great, 2004 Yukon, if anyone wants to like, buy a car, it's a nice car. Um, bad mileage. But I want to pick, fix it. When, when something goes wrong, I immediately go and I fix it because I don't want to let it get worse and worse and just keep going down this path. I had um, some repentance. Actually, I think I have a picture of my Jetta here. Oh, no, actually not. But this is my Jetta and my lovely sister Anna. I don't know if you all know Anna, but you can see it getting towed in. This is after it was left in a parking lot at a hospital in Loma Linda for two months, and I didn't know that happened. Whole different story. You can ask me about that later. Um, But I had a changed heart towards my car because I had a new car. I didn't want this... I don't want my new car to end up in the same state as this one. So when something goes wrong, what do I do? I fix it. I have action. I make changes for it. Um, Repentance. I I have a repentant heart towards my car. But in the same way, when we have sin in our lives, um, oftentimes, rather than fixing it, we've got an unrepentant heart. And we say, okay, well, look, I struggle with... I don't know. What do I want to say? I struggle with lust. Okay, you know what? I, rather than dealing with the problem, I just won't tell anyone. I'll deal with this struggle on my own. It's just my personal problem. Why does it bother anyone else? Look, it's just me. I'm going to struggle with that on my own. I'll put it up in my closet. No one cares. It's just, that's my struggle. Or maybe I struggle with my self-esteem. I, I'm like, I, just, I feel like I need to look better. I need to look more beautiful. And I'm just not beautiful the way God created me. And instead of looking at the scriptures where it talks about how God created us in our mother's womb and talks about the glory of his creation and the fact that we were created in God's own image, we're like following the wrong people on Instagram or on Snapchat. And we're following people who make us feel bad about ourselves and make us think, I got to change this, I got to change that. And I'm so obsessed with myself. I've got this obsession with like, I need to be better and I need to be more beautiful or whatever it might be. Instead of addressing our problems, we hide them. We push them away. We don't acknowledge our sin, and we just sit on it. We let it fester. We feed it. I saw it when I was doing my form. I was like, okay, let's see what they said about my form. Well, it said I was supposed to talk about restitution, so I threw one slide in here. The difference between repentance and restitution. Restitution, it's making something right. Here we've got Zacchaeus. Everyone knows the story of Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree and the Lord came by and uh, what is he saying? Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree? Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today and what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus is convicted of his sins. He gets that repentant heart and he does some restitution. He says, I am going to restore them fourfold. So he was a tax collector stealing money left and right from people and he says, I'm repentant. I've got this changed heart so I am going to Do some restitution. I'm paying them back fourfold. All right? That's restitution. Repentance. Who knows the story of David and Bathsheba? All right. Like 10-word summary. Go. Yeah. Yes. He was on the palace roof. He was looking places he shouldn't have looked. He falls in love with a woman he shouldn't have fallen in love with. Guess what? David, he was already married. Um... He kills her husband, sends him off to a battle, so he gets killed. And some other people get killed in kind of the running of it. And then uh, he sleeps with this woman. Actually, that's before he kills him. Either way, he does some bad things. But in Psalm 51, I've, this is assorted sections from it. It's not even like a whole verse. It's just cut out from it. But I wanted to draw a, some attention to David's repented heart. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Right? First, he has faith. He acknowledges God. He acknowledges that God is loving, that God is kind, has tender mercies. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, all right, God, you're so great. You know, make sure I get to heaven and we're good. He says, blot out my transgressions. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's acknowledging where he's done wrong. Take a moment right now. I see some distracted people around. That's fine. I get it. It's Friday. We're sitting next to our friends. But think about something you've done wrong. Do you have David's heart towards the things that you do wrong? Or are you just thinking, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Are you crying out to God and saying, I acknowledge my transgressions later on. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He knows that he is is wicked and that only God can save him. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I bolded this last section because I think it's so key to repentance. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise, okay. If we are not broken by our sins, what's God going to think? If we aren't, when we repent, when we say, "God, forgive us, we did something wrong," and then we just plan on doing that again, okay? Maybe I got mad at my mom and I yelled at her, and I say, ah, "I shouldn't have done that." Okay, I'm going to so forgive me, God and then the second mom does something that bothers me, I'm just as mad as I was. Maybe I'm struggling with lust, and I think, okay, I need to to fix this. I need to get this out of my life. I, I need to change. But then your friends are going to see a movie that you know is going to contain some inappropriate material, and you just go back and do it. Are you really repentant if you are putting yourself in, if you're inviting that sin back into your life? I don't think so. We see that God wants a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Specifically, here we go, Joel 2.12. It says, therefore also, now saith the Lord, turn even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, okay? So, turning to God, fasting and praying, we, we're reaching out, we're calling out to God, and rend your heart, and not your garments, Oftentimes, when we repent or we think, okay, we're going to change, we make some like, superficial show of it. Back in the day of old, old times, when someone did something wrong or someone was so upset with, like there's some priests and they came across some people doing wicked stuff, they rent their clothes, right? It shows, I'm so distraught, I'm going to tear my clothes. But in Joel, we see, you're not supposed to rend your clothes. Rend your heart. God wants that broken and contrite heart. And then it continues on, though. Turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. So, we know that God has a plan for us, sent his son for us, and because of that, we should have that changed heart. If we acknowledge that, if we know that someone came and died for us, to turn away from that, to like scorn that, and just say, I'd rather live in sin... I'd rather drink from the disgusting cup of sin that we've heard in a sermon of a bit earlier on. Um, it's it's spitting in his face. I think there was a Tim made that comment of we are dis, like we are in direct opposition to God when we are not changing our heart or when our heart isn't changed. I, I need four volunteers. Oh, wait, four volunteers. Make sure you look at it first. Good at writing cards. I mean, you got to be able to do it within like two minutes, three minutes. Readable penmanship. I'm good at reading, though. I passed like at least fifth grade reading. Okay. Let's see. Just, I'm just looking around. I want to get a balance of people. Okay. We got a, a lamp. Yeah. You can come down here. Okay. Since you ate the cheese that one time. We will go with Ruby. Huh? I got, I got, I got pen and paper and pencil. What are you saying? Interesting. I want to pick on someone. Is my sister-in-law Emma here? Yes, Emma. You, I couldn't see you. You were like blending in. I was like, I gotta pick on someone for my team. Okay. Here we go. I'm giving you each a card, all right? You you each get a pencil. You get a little bit of time. I don't know. How much time should we give them? Let's say four minutes. You're going to write a card for someone. I I just want it to be, it doesn't have to be anything particular. If you know someone's birthday is coming up, maybe you can write them a birthday card. If you know someone elderly can't make it to church, maybe write something for them. Uh, You know someone who's sick, injured. That's what we're thinking about. Write a card, something simple, Something nice and ready, set, start. Yes. Um, write a card, kay? okay? All right. I shouldn't have told them that it was going to be read out loud. This is, this is risky. So while we're waiting for them here, um, would we say it's a good thing to like, write cards to people? Has anyone here ever gotten a card and been like, that was nice? Does anyone want to tell us like a card that they maybe got? Go. That's nice. Someone's thinking about you. Oh, starting your own applause. That's ah, a little, uh, maybe someone else can applaud for you. All right. Um, yeah. So someone wrote him a birthday card and it makes you feel a little bit special. That's nice. I like that. There we go. No. Ah, there we go. Um, so, so, and you know what? Why, why, is it, why is it meaningful? Because she writes a message that she means. She writes a message that she cares. And she shows it by putting some effort in. You know, you're writing a whole message. I used to have a great aunt, Aunt Delphi Stanich, who would write us cards. And they would always be in cursive. Ah, uh, I'm not good at reading cursive but mom made us learn cursive just so we could read Aunt Delphi's cards and there'd be a whole page and you'd have to read it and be like whew, this, is, this is like being like a cryptographer or whatever that is alright how's our cards going? we're almost done? Yeah. alright let's, let's, let's get them done I'll give you like 20 seconds or if you're done you can just hand them in Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So we got one card. Uh, I won't actually be like saying who wrote each card because we want. Oh, I don't want to. What if someone's embarrassed about their card writing? So we'll just. I'm going to read the cards. We'll mix them up. Okay. No, you can sit down. You can sit down. <laughs> Right, I'm folding these up so I can uh, mix them up, and we'll, we'll go in a random order here. Um, all right. Here's one. And at the end of this, I want you all to... I don't know how I should do I wish you had scorecards, you know, like we do um, at the Olympics or something. Well, we, I don't have scorecards, so... Maybe fingers. Yeah, hold up how many fingers you think, like, this card is worth, okay? Dear Art... I want you to know that we are praying for you and your health and that you feel convicted to come to church. I hope that you feel the calling of Jesus. All right, what do we think? Okay, we've got like some pretty high scores. We've got some 10 out of 10s. We've got some people who are like, it's three, but that's not like, come on. Like, it's a better card than you, would right? Um, but we have someone who's, they're compassionate. They're saying, hey, I hope you feel better soon. They're, they're calling out, you should come to church. I like that. That's a, I think that's a 10 out of 10 card. If, uh, you can come pick it up if there's really a person named Art that you'd like to give that to. Feel free. All right, let's see what, what else we got here. So that was uh, like a get well soon card. Ah, this one. Dearest stranger. So this is written to someone random. I like that. I hope you have a lovely day. Living can be tricky, but I know God is with you. Each day here... Each day has its own struggle. I'm not saying that the penmanship, like going back to this one, come on. Readable penmanship. No, it's all right. Um, each day has its own struggle. I'm proud of all you have done. Take time for yourself and know that you are forgiven. You can let go. God loves you. All right, what do we think? I'm saying anyone who votes under an eight is like kicked out. No, you won't get kicked out. You have to stay extra long. That's what it is. Um, so that's a great one. I, it's saying God loves you eight. You can read that card, and you're like, that person cares. All right. Mike Smith. Is there someone here named Mike Smith? Maybe. All right. Happy birthday. I can't believe you're 60. You look amazing for your age. You're a great guy, truly an inspiration to all. So glad you were able to make it to camp this year. It's been great talking to you. I like how that one gets all tense. Oh, we got a real scorecard. I'm loving it. We've got an eight over there. Hey, it was nice. It was saying, I liked talking to you. I enjoyed my time speaking to you at camp. You look great for being 60. Hey, being 60 is like like, I'm not 60, so I don't really know what it's like, but I can't imagine that it's like easy. That's a long time. All right. This one's written, Dear Winnie, you, you are so annoying. I can't stand hanging out with you. Whenever I see you walking towards me, I know my fun will end. I don't want to ever talk to you again, and don't even try to do so. Sorry, with annoyance. Okay, here's a question. That was, that was a nasty card. I don't know who wrote that card, but when we, when we are calling out to God to forgive us, we're sending him a message. We're sending God a card saying, please forgive me. But when we have the intent to sin again, what are we really saying? We're saying, forgive me, God, just because I know you're loving. I know you really care about me. So you have to forgive me. And I think you're a loser. I look, I'm entitled to this forgiveness. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to say, you know, do my prayers that says, okay, I shouldn't have done that, but I'm going to do it again. And then you have to forgive me again. Is that a repentant heart? It's not. I'm going to... Uh, okay, all right, we're moving along. we got, we got good time here. We're going to go through a bit of a biblical account. If you'd like to pull it up on your Bibles, you can. It's going to be uh, selections from 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15. I just realized that this blue writing is really bad on this background, so you can't even read, but it starts off in Samuel 13... Feel free to like follow along, but it's going to be very scattered as I'm not reading the whole thing. It would take way too long. Um, who knows who Saul was? Just shout it out. King of Israel, but not only any king. He was the first king of Israel. So he's the king of Israel, and he was appointed by God, but through which prophet or which uh, priest? Samuel. Samuel. Okay, these are our two main characters in this story here. All right, so Saul, king of Israel. Um, he finds himself in a hard place. He's fighting against the Philistines. And he thinks to himself, look, some time passes. They, they fight some battles. A sacrifice needs to happen, right? God commands a sacrifice. And so what happens is Samuel, um, Samuel's supposed to do the sacrifices. Saul's the king. Samuel's the priest. The king leads you to battle. The, the priest does the sacrifices, helps you with your relationship with God. Well, Saul doesn't have time to wait around for Samuel. So Saul just builds an altar. He's like, I'm going to do the sacrifice myself. Great work, Saul. Right? He was doing a sacrifice to God. It must be good. Well, Samuel comes along and he finds out that Saul's done this. Saul's disobeyed God, God had a, an order. The priest was supposed to do the sacrifice. And now Saul's taking advantage of this. He's taking over. He's taking over the spiritual headship of the, of the uh, nation of Israel. And um, Samuel basically comes up to him and says, you're a foolish man. You're doing something that's wicked. You know you shouldn't have done this. And Saul's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, the people told me to do it. And I just was worried because they looked like they were like distressed because you weren't here. I, I, so I did. That's why I did it. He makes an excuse. All right. So... Saul repents, right? he, he's like, okay, just don't build an altar, easy enough. All right, so he continues on, chapter 14, what does Saul go out and do? One chapter later, ah, he builds another altar. Saul just was told you shouldn't be building altars, but he goes out, he, builds, he does it again. He said he was sorry, he said he shouldn't have done it, he says he knows, knows he shouldn't have done it, but here he is, he just goes out and builds another altar. Samuel comes again. Saul, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Saul, he's got his excuses. He feels like, ah, maybe it's hard to like, not build altars. You know, you walking down, you're just like, I just got to build an altar here, right? It's so easy. You got you to gotta do something. But he, Saul is doing something that he shouldn't be doing. He's sinning, and he did it twice. All right, so Samuel says, look, Saul, you're going to go fight against the Amalekites. I think it was the Amalekites. And um, when you destroy this nation... Utterly destroy them. Every camel, goat, oxen, sheep, everything. Kill it. Destroy it. Every person, you need to defeat this nation and nothing should be left living. What does Saul do? He goes out, goes to battle, sweeps them. He takes over. He's like, yeah, easy easy case. I've done it. Um, And he doesn't really do it he doesn't really do what Samuel says. He kills almost all of them, but the he keeps the king alive. And he keeps some, some uh, sheep and some oxen because he wants to do some sacrifices. You know, he likes building altars. He likes doing sacrifices. Um, and then he comes up to Samuel and says, Hey, Samuel, I did everything that God told me to do. And Samuel says, uh, Saul said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, right? Everything you're supposed to do. And Samuel said, "What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear?" What a great line. So Saul says, "I've done everything." Samuel comes up and he's like, Okay, so you did everything." And on the background he goes, mm. I don't know. Those are my farm animals. pretty good, actually. Um, he hears the lowing of the oxen, he hears the bleeding of the sheep, and he says, "What do you mean you did everything? There's still the sheep. There's still the oxen. I skipped to... Oh, there was a quick sneak peek. Some of you saw it, some of you didn't. Okay. In our lives, we've got sin. No matter what. And we, we see in James, it says, if we, if anyone who says he has no sin fools himself, we, we will have sin in our life. But what's the difference? What is the difference of a repentant heart versus an unrepentant heart? If we, if we all sin... What splits it up? What makes the difference there? Let's see. What do we think makes the difference? We all sin. How, are we, how is someone who's repentant any different than someone who's unrepentant? Okay. Someone who's repentant, like David was, he has a broken and contrary heart. He recognizes the sin, and he wants it out of his life. He says, create in me a clean heart. So, what's your name? Daniel. Daniel. To all the Daniels out there, since we got one Daniel here, imagine I come into your house—actually, everyone's house. I, I'm, I'm over here. We're eating dinner downstairs, and um, we're—I we're, don't know. What do you guys make for dinner? Mashed, mashed potatoes, ramen. Perfect. What a good combination. Okay, we got this great dinner. I'm like, hmm. Got me some mashed potatoes and ramen, and then suddenly I, I hear something. It's like, this noise again. What's what's that, Daniel? You're like, wow, it's just nothing up there. Okay, okay all right. Well, I was still eating my mashed potatoes and ramen. It's round two because I really like that. And um, it's going again. That's not nothing. And wow, okay, well, here's, there's a sheep in my upstairs closet. And it's just there. I, I hate this sheep. I wish it wasn't in my house, but it's there. Okay, come on. Like, what do you mean? How is it there? How did it get there? Oh, I walked in one day, and I was like, oh, you should go, like, leave my house. And, but it looked at me funny, and I was like, okay, well, and then it went upstairs, and I, I, just, I just kind of, like, left it there because I'm, I don't know what to do. What would we say to someone who said that? Imagine you're in that situation. Would you, like, what would you think? Let's, let's hear what some people would think. Oh, they're trying to fool me to think that they don't like the sheep, but they really have a pet sheep, maybe. Like, there's no, else, no other reason a sheep would be in someone's house. Yeah? Upon animal control. Oh, maybe you call animal control. Yeah, you're thinking ahead. You're like, this person's saying they hate the sheep in their house, um, and they can't get rid of it because it looks at them funny. So maybe you call animal control. Someone to help you get it out. Well, and then, then you realize, who's this. Is this. Well little bead thing fell down? Who wants it? All right, it's like a pearl thing. Maybe it's valuable. Um, so, so we, we, we hear the sheep, and then I'm asking you more questions. I say, okay, so it's living up in your, in your, what is it eating here, like clothes? Oh, no, I wouldn't want it to do that. I actually, I go and I throw up some hay every once in a while. I don't want it to get hungry. Like, it's, it's still a sheep, you know. I, I don't want it to go away. Um, well, I mean, I do want it to go away. I hate it. I don't want it in my house, but it's there, and I'm not doing anything about it. Um, Sheep control. I would like to present unto you my version of sheep control. Sheep be gone. All right, so you've got sin in your life, and you're pretending to everyone around that you hate it. You're at church camp, and people are asking you in Sunday school or Bible class or whatever, teen Bible class that you're in, and they're saying... um, what do you think about sin? You're saying, oh, it's bad, yeah, yeah, it's bad. But if it's bad, if we believe it's bad, why is it there? Why haven't we gotten rid of it ourselves? And if we can't get rid of it ourselves, why haven't we called animal patrol? Mr. Sheep be gone, raid sponsored. And chase that sheep out of your house. We, we struggle with all sorts of sins in our life, and we, why is it a struggle? Why don't we reject them? That's where the, the idea of a repentant heart comes if, you, if you're living and you, right now, take a moment. Pause. Maybe stop talking to your neighbor right next to you. Instead, think real quick. Do I have sin in my life? The answer is yes. I guarantee it. Then, your next question. Am I doing anything about that sin? Or am I just happy with letting it live up in the closet there? That sheep I hate it, you know, I know it's not supposed to be there, I know I have to keep feeding it to keep it alive even, but I'd rather not deal with it, because maybe it's embarrassing to admit you've got a sheep in your house. Um, maybe it's hard to do because you're scared of the sheep, and it's, like, pretty strong and, like, big. Like, look, it can sting and carry a whatever her seven-year-olds. Like, that's, that's... She looks like she's having fun. Actually, so does the sheep. Um, but at, at the same time... Sorry, no, I'll it'll just stay down here, then, because... Um, yeah, it was pretty obvious, but anyway, it's, it's all right. Anyway, so we've got sin in our lives, we've got a problem, and we aren't addressing it. And the reason we aren't addressing it is because we aren't actually repentant, right? So the idea is, it's easy, just get rid of the sin. Well, I referenced here Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. probably not referenced that often in Bible classes, but... Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may also ye do good that are accustomed to do evil. This is acknowledging something. We know that the heart of man is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, right? We can see in scripture that we have wickedness. It's built into us, just like a leopard spots or each one of us, our own skin color. We can't just change that, but how do we deal with it then? How can we deal with sin? How can we deal with our fallen state if we hate it? We we hate it. We want to get rid of it. But the Bible says it's so hard. Just as hard as it is for a leopard to try to change the spots or for me to change the color of my skin, it is for me to do good that's accustomed to doing evil. But we can have some solace here. God wants us to repent. I've got a few different verses here. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What's his promise? What's God's promise to us? Just shout it out. Eternal life. Eternal life. We've been promised eternal life. We've been promised this path. We've, we've, we're told in, in scripture, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right? We've got this promise. So the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, that's good. God wants us to repent. That means means God's on our side. Well, we got Ezekiel 18. Israel's been being wicked. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Save God. So we're going to be judged according to our ways. Repent and turn yourself from your transgressions so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Sin ruins lives. Even if it's a small sin, even if it starts out as a small sin, it grows. Sin ruins lives. If you've gone out and you've met people who have sin that has taken over their life, if you've ever talked with someone who's dealt with a major addiction, if you've ever cho- talked with someone who maybe they cheated on their spouse and their life went crumbling to pieces because of the sin in their life, it destroys us. It, it is our ruin. Cast away from all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed. So get rid of it. Make a new heart. Hey, we're back to heart again. We want a repentant heart. We need a heart that's changed. And a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Okay. There's a pretty clear commandment. So we know that God has punishments. We know that God is a just God. He only can accept holiness and pureness into his kingdom. But we've got wickedness in our hearts. He says, make a new heart. God will make a new heart in us. When we have sin in our lives and we have a repentant heart, we will want to reject that sin. We will want to get it out of our house. If it requires that we call someone to help us, like our sheep exterminator, like our animal control. Maybe you need to, maybe you've got sin in your life and you just, you just can't get rid of it on your own. You need an accountability partner. You need to find someone who can help you get it out of your life. If you don't, what are you choosing? It says, for why will ye die? It's a question. It's, he's asking the nation of Israel, you're okay with dying? You're just fine with letting it live there and just dying? Living in that sin? It doesn't give God any pleasure to punish you. He has no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. And I think earlier today, maybe it was, or yesterday, was there's no pleasure in the death of the wicked was mentioned. Um, God doesn't want us to, to just live in our sin. God doesn't want to just punish us because we don't want to change. He wants us to turn and follow after life. And then we go to Acts, New Testament here, Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Um, Gentiles, that's us. Unless you're of Jewish descent, potentially you might also be Jewish then. In that case, most of us Gentiles. But we all fall into one of two categories. Um, either you're unrepentant, and I want us all to just think about it for a moment. All right? I'm going to pull up some bullet points here. Do these bullet points describe you? Do we not recognize our sin? We're unrepentant. We are not changing. We have a heart that is okay with letting the sheep live in that closet. It just is okay with it. Are we? We don't recognize our sin. Oh, interesting. Does recognize their sin. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Guess what? If you recognize your sin, that's a good start. That's good that you know that you're doing wrong. It's good that you feel convicted, but if you aren't doing anything about it, just like uh, imaginary Daniel, not this Daniel, but imaginary Daniel whose house we were visiting, and he, he knew the sheep was there. He said he hated the sheep. He knew it shouldn't be there. So guess what? It doesn't matter if you don't recognize your sin or if you do recognize your sin, as long as you aren't doing anything about it. If you feel godly sorrow, well, there's a verse that says, uh, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. You are, if you don't feel the godly sorrow, if you are just willingly living in sin, willingly living with the sin in your life, not even trying to reach out to someone for help, not praying that the Lord takes it away, you're just okay with it. You have an unrepentant heart. And that is a heart that God hates. Hopefully, you fall into this category. A repentant heart. A repentant heart needs to acknowledge it's sin. You can't be a repentant if you think you're perfect. So if you look in your life and you're like, wow, I'm just pretty good. you know, That's nice. It must be nice. To, like, not, I don't know why all these people are struggling. Uh, I live a pretty good life. I, I, I'm sinless. No. A repentant heart knows it's sinful. Knows it has a proclivity or a tendency towards doing things that are wrong. Okay, It feels godly sorrow. When you do wrong, you know it's wrong. A broken and contrite spirit, just like David. So David, here's going back to the story of David, we know that he did all of these bad things. Guess what? He didn't didn't repent from that or change his ways or or acknowledge that sin for a long time. It, It took a prophet, Nathan, to come and tell him. So sometimes in our lives, maybe we don't even realize for some reason we aren't paying attention to the upstairs closet that there's a sheep in there. It's being quiet. Like we reach in there and we feel it's like woolly. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's my jacket or something. Um, but when we really open that closet door and we look at it, oh, we've been convicted. We feel that conviction. We feel the godly sorrow. But guess what? We don't stop. If you feel the conviction and you think, look, I want to follow after God. I want a repentant heart. You can't stop. You can't stop at feeling sorry. You need to keep going on. You need to hate the sin. You need to forget, uh, forsake it. You need to get rid of it, and if you can't do it on your own, you need to get someone to help you do it. Um, You're at Eastern Camp right now. You're surrounded by believers, young and old, for, uh, I don't know how many of the, there's like a thousand people here. Today, when you're at Inspiration Hour, if you feel convicted, if you feel something tugging, guess what? This is me zooming backwards. Hey, maybe that's you as an unrepentant person who's now recognizing their sin. Maybe you didn't before, but you feel like, ah, something's off. Well, don't stop. Don't stop just with feeling bad. You need to keep moving forward. Someone who has a changed heart is going to keep moving forward. They're going to hate sin, and if they can't get rid of it on their own, for example, I, uh, when was it last year when the lizard got in the house? Okay, last year, I'm like, just, you know, working or something, and Daniela's getting ready for some guests in the guest bedroom, and she's like, runs out, I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, there's a lizard in there. I was like, okay, I look at it, it's a big lizard, it's like this long with its tail. I was like, oh boy. And guess what? Daniela, she was a little bit scared of the lizard, if we're going to be honest. She wasn't going to go get rid of that herself, but she hated that lizard with a righteous hatred. And she wanted it gone. So what did she do? She called the lizard exterminator uh, extraordinaire Michael. And I went in there and I chased it under the bed and chased it here and its tail fell off. And it was like, oh, it can- sometimes it's messy to get rid of sin. It's not just like, oh, grab it, throw it out. You know, I had to come back in like two pieces. Like lizard goes out and then come back and find the tail. So like flipping around and I had to get rid of that too. But I, she called someone in to help because she couldn't get rid of it herself. <laughs> But let's get practical here. We're at Eastern Camp. I want to have some things that we can think about that we can do going forward, um, because if we just talk about things, it's pointless. Um, I would like you all, when you say your prayers, if you don't pray, well, that's a whole different problem. Maybe you should. When we pray, pray for God to help change our heart, just like David prayed for God to give him a new heart. Acknowledge the fact that we're sinful. And it can be little things, little things that we don't even think of as sin. Maybe there's, let's go back to this little card that we got. Poor Winnie. Okay. You don't need to acknowledge it right now. But how many of us have thought these thoughts towards a person? Maybe there's someone we're like, (laughs) maybe there's someone who we're like, I just hate hanging out with them. Like, they're just such an annoying person. Um, I know my fun will end as soon as this person comes. That's not something that we should be doing. That's, that is sin in our hearts. That's pridefulness. That's arrogance. That's us thinking we're better than them. We don't want to talk with them. That's, that's a sin. Maybe it, our sin is uh, struggling with the way that we look at ourselves. I mentioned people, like, uh, we have problems with our self-esteem. It's completely understandable. Sin comes from a place, like, it's, it's, it's built within us, but we should be able to have comfort and have peace knowing that God has made us. Or maybe we struggle with lust or pornography and we just aren't getting rid of it because it's hard. Oh, it's so hard. So it's easier to keep it in a closet than just ignore it and not tell anyone about it because it's hard. It's embarrassing because we have pride, because our heart isn't changed. We need to forsake our sins, abandon them, Utterly destroy the sheep. If you are in the process of converting, maybe you've talked with a minister, maybe you've talked with your parents, maybe you've talked with a friend, and you just feel like, look, I want to change. And you've got that conviction. We need to forsake the sin. We can't let it keep living in our lives. A repentant heart does not harbor sin. Don't hide it. Hiding it is probably the worst thing you can do. You know why? Because, guess what? It hides it from me. It hides it from our friend here, our friend there, our friend over there. Everyone. Sure, it hides it from the people. But the people don't matter. Like I, Donovan's not going to be like, to hell with you. He doesn't get that call. He's not going to say, look... You're wanting to come into the kingdom of God, but you're living with this wickedness. You have that sin and you are embracing that sin. You know who does see that? God sees it. He sees everything. There's no point in trying to hide it because God is the only one who cares and he's also the one who will see it all. Don't hide it. I have a challenge for you. If you've got a sin in your life, find someone, preferably before the end of today, tell them about it. And say, I've got this problem. Just, I want you to know. Hold me accountable. Make sure you choose that person with discretion. Choose an older person who's got maturity. Choose someone who can help, hopefully, help you make that change. Um, Don't hide it. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. Um, It's not so that, you know... Someone can find out, oh, that, oh, look how bad this person is. No, it's so that you can be healed. It's so that you can say, I, I have a friend who uh, is stopping eating dessert because he just wants to cut sugar out of his life. And what do you do? He texted, he sent out a message to a bunch of people and said, um, today, I'm no longer eating any desserts. If you see me eating dessert, remind me of that. And you know what? That takes some courage. Well, a lot of us, that, that particular one, Maybe not so much because, okay, you know, some people want to be healthier or whatever it is. But admitting sin in your life, that might be hard, but guess what? That's going to work because every time I see my friend, if I see him getting close to that dessert line, you know I'm going to call him out and say, hey, remember when you like put this thing up? I screenshotted it. So I can be like, ha, you said you were getting rid of that. Let's get rid of it. Let's get, get it out of our lives. Keep it away. Lastly, and this is the most important, we will sin. It's in our nature, but we can't flee from God. He sees every sin, and the only way forward is through Jesus' grace. So you got that sheep out with help from your friends and family, but now you're going out your front door. There's a sheep there. He's like, you know, trying to get in. Okay, I'm going to go out a different door. Stay away from it. If you struggle with a sin, don't put yourself in a situation where that sin's going to come right back at you. And you know what? Maybe you wake up one morning and you see that sheep there. Don't just say, okay, back up to the closet with you where you used to belong. Bring in help. Get rid of it. A repentant heart is a heart that seeks after God and wants to please him. Let's close with James 4 here. Um, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth. The proud, but giveth grace to the humble. God resists the proud. If you're sitting here thinking, ah, "I'm fine," like, "Look, this is just the dumb team forum. Um, fair enough." But at the same time, God resists the proud. You aren't going to get anywhere by by ignoring your sin, by pretending you're better. But He giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Right? That sheep comes to your door. You you keep that door closed. You have to go out. Okay, you got to go somewhere. Go out the other door. Don't resist it, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God is the one who grants us a repentant heart. If we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. We talked about doing practical things. Things you can do to draw nigh to God is, guess what? Read your Bible. Pray. Talk about spiritual things with your parents, with your friends, with your family. Um, When it comes down to it, the more we immerse ourselves in God, the more he will come to us. And when you do that, your heart will be changed. And you will start hating the sin. You will get rid of the sheep that are in your life. We're out of time here. We're going to lunch next. I want to close with a prayer, but then I also need minimum 10 volunteers, preferably people with some uh, physical strength that can help us out uh, with layman hall cleanup after gospel hymn singing tonight. So think about it after the prayer if you would like to help, and I would really appreciate it if some people would come, put your name tag on the table because I have to show it to the deans so that you don't get busted for being out past the hour. Um, But let's close with a prayer here. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us and for the blessings that you've brought to us. We thank you for this camp that we can come and we can enjoy and for the time we can spend with each other, worshiping you, glorifying you, praising you. We pray that you would reach out to each one of us, that everyone in this room would feel convicted of the sin in their life. And rather than hiding from it and running from it, that we would turn to you. I pray that each one of the teens in this room would feel convicted of their sin, would be disgusted by it, and will take the next step, the step that shows true repentance, of purging it from their heart. Father, you know us better than anyone, and we know that we can rely on you. Please bless us, keep us through the rest of this day and on our travels home. Thank you for bringing us into this world, for giving us families and parents and church and friends and creation to enjoy. But thank you most of all for sending your son to die for us, for granting us that grace that through his death and our faith and his death and resurrection, that we can be healed and that we can have that new heart, a heart that seeks to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.